A listener note. The safety information discussed in this podcast are our views based on our personal firsthand experiences. Each safety situation presents unique risks, and the solutions discussed in this podcast should not take the place of thorough risk assessments or evaluations based on your specific circumstances. Thank you. Welcome to Safe, Efficient, Profitable, a Worker Safety Podcast, where we break down real problems from real situations and discuss realistic solutions. And here's your host, owner of Allen Safety LLC and CHMM, Joe Allen. Good day, everybody. It's Joe. And Jen. Is Jen <laughs> I'm here. Oh, I'm Jen. here. I had to unmute my mic. Sorry. <laughs> All right. This is uh, episode 17. We're going to be talking about SOPs. We had a lot of questions on the last episode from the PSM side. We've also had questions from other episodes about how should SOPs look or some different ideas. So that's how this subject came about. As we've talked about in other podcasts, we're addressing things as people bring up. And then we're trying to look at what we think the current trends are or things we've seen in the past. So we're trying to capture those ideas. So thank you again for signing on today. We really appreciate the emails and questions and the recommendations for subjects. So keep sending those to us. And if you don't know how to get a hold of us, you can go to our website, www.allen-safety.com. Go to the contact us and you can send us all of your questions. Which is kind of great that people have a lot of questions. And I think that's great. So that's the goal of this thing. All right, so we're going to talk about today with SOPs, standard operating procedure. Let's start with the word standard. Now, I've been asked a lot of days in our career to review this particular document. It can be under a PSM system. It can be under plant operation system. It can be from any part of a business on what they call an SOP. But it could also be a thing called a job task. So the first thing I tell people to do is, Figure out what is a job task and figure out what is an SOP and start with those lists to get control of it because it's going to change the way you set up your systems. So now we're going to look at SOP first. SOP is going to have different control factors. Now, if you're on PSM, they're going to have some elements you'll consider. But what we're really looking for is how does it actually apply to what the location is doing? So are they going to be locking out a piece of equipment? Are they going to be servicing a piece of equipment? Or they're doing some kind of task, but it's not a task procedure because you call it SOP. So you got to start breaking down that, including what Jen will talk about in a second is, well, who's the person even doing it, writing it, qualified reviewing? So tell us, tell us some of the weirds we see with SOP, Jen, when we have problems with people not reviewing them right. So the biggest thing with SOPs first, especially when you're talking about it on the PSM side, is there are some requirements just to make sure that we don't take too much time, y'all can look those up. It's online. So there are some requirements in regards to if you have a regulated PSM program, what you have to have. But it'll be things like normal operations, PPE, emergency operations, temporary operations, startup, shutdown. There's all these different lists of things. What we typically see, though, is... If you've got an individual who isn't super familiar with the system, a lot of times those sections will all magically look the same, which is really interesting because 
the government has said, hey, we think this is so important. We're going to ask you to actually line item normal operations and temporary operations and shutdown, normal shutdown and emergency operations and emergency shutdown. We're going to ask you to specifically write individual procedures for all of those things. And it's amazing how they all say the same or they say reference normal operations, which I will tell you in a leak is not super helpful. Yes, I spent a lot of time on both sides, uh, pre and uh, the leak side. On the leak side, we write procedures and we do training. And the biggest thing we talk about is we should never see referred to normal. And I'll give you an example. Normal, a lot of times we'll talk about lockout tagout being applied. Uh, we don't use as much lockout tagout during the emergency because we may want to open and close the valves as we go. Now, just in case, just to throw this out, don't come at us. It's not to say that we're not using a version of securing that equipment and locking it out. We lock it out, quote unquote, by locking the room and securing the area through command in that standpoint. We're not just having things run all willy nilly with the guards off and everything else. So don't come at us. (laughs) And we do lock it out before release command so the integrity of the equipment doesn't get damaged. Yes. And to go into maintenance when we start doing the maintenance and the repair. Yes, it will be locked out. But when it says valve one shall be locked right at the beginning of a leak, the, the leaks don't move that way. You have to you have to analyze where the piping is and where the valve is. And, and, and including, you may not even do those valves at all during the leak. You may go to somewhere completely remote and do it a different way. So you just got to watch those. That whatever you say in a normal section or another section or operations or startup or emergency, have your right stuff in there. That's all we're saying. Yes. Usually there is an ideal way to shut things down. And then there's the way that you don't really want to do it, but it'll be okay because things are not great and we've got to get in and out of there. Time is of the essence. We don't have time to sit and unload our compressors when it's getting worse and worse and it's getting to be go time or we've been in there for a certain period of time. We just, we may not have time on our side to go through all of those steps that we would normally do if things were nice and calm. So that's all we're saying. It could be as much as during a normal operation, you say you're going to use a ladder to do a task, but in a leak response, we may not use a ladder because I don't want people being harm's way up there. So there's just different ways that the system can be set up. So first thing is, is like you talked about, is figuring out what's going to be in your sections that are real time and what you're going to do at your location. And then writing the procedure, we've seen some gaps where an in-house or a third party will write them or an intern will write them and they're not really sure how the system works or they'll blanket everything to be the same everywhere across five different locations and when you go to that location jen said the other one they don't look the same so you got to customize them a little bit to how your location is you know it's interesting that if we've got several locations and we may identify one as kind of the gold standard for psm or sops it's interesting how that will become the template for everybody else and the intention of course is always to take the 80% maybe or 75% may be able to be reused, but you've got to customize that 20 to 25%. And it's interesting how we will see that not happen. And so that's one of those things that you've just got to take the time on the front end because you'll be taking the time at some point. (laughs) It'll either be on the front end you're taking the time or it'll be with a regulator and facing a citation, or it'll be during a leak that you'll be taking the time to figure out what the customization part for your location will be. But generally speaking, you will spend the time. It's just you have to decide when you want to do it. So pick your poison on that one. Yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, we are a custom company. And what that means is we deal with that problem in front of us at that time in history. And it, she's right. that It's interesting to watch what 
people will say what the pre-plan should have been, and it doesn't match up at all. And I, I give you another example. We will have the same location, have five different people trained by different companies on how to be an operator, and they can't even agree on which valve to turn off first. So my SOP is one set of protocols, and then they have a view of another set. Part of the SOP is to work out this dynamic ahead of time so that we all agree how we're going to manage processes, no matter what SOP we're using, that we all agree for that function. That's correct. Now, the other thing about SOPs I think that's important to note is it really, really, truly does matter who writes them. You've got to understand that if you're getting them from a third party or another location, if that's the situation, you've got to understand that they do have to be customized like we just talked about because that is your template for training your operators. And so you want to make sure that if that is your go-to for anybody new or anybody who's doing maintenance, Joe kind of talked about, typically we've got the least experienced folks on third shift and they're going to be leaning on those SOPs the heaviest. So if there is unique information to your location based on your operations or your company guidelines or your safety requirements that may be a little bit different that a contractor, a third party, another location may not know, that information has got to be in there because those operators need to know that. And if that's what we say, that's our go-to and we base everything on, I train my operators on these SOPs, they review them annually. Well, great. But did the person writing them know what they were doing first? And did they customize them to take into consideration all of your unique safety protocols at your location second? That's what you really want to watch for. Yeah. I mean, every location I've ever been to, if I'm doing any kind of task or process that is writing, training, dealing with a complex problem that has to do anything with an SOP, I still ask for the SOP today after all these years, and I still review them, and I still have discussions. Does it make sense what we're talking about? So this is not something that we're saying is good, bad, or different. We're saying we still use those today. Now, we may write or add or pros and cons to each side of it, but we still use that as our baseline, the 80% part that Jen talked about. And try to get that structure because the end of the day, it is supposed to be that procedure for that piece of equipment to do whatever you have to do in that SOP should meet that. You should be able to pull it and be like, oh, yep, it matches. It makes sense. Now, something else to just make note of real quick, too, is that among the different pieces of equipment, the procedure should also be different. So generally speaking, if I have a high side compressor. I may have different protocols for my booster or my swing or whatever, depending on what's going on. If you've got more than one engine room and that's on the other side of the location or the plant or whatever, you're going to have to make sure that you're identifying that because the procedure may not be able to be identical. And so you don't want to have that boilerplate. You want to try and stay away from that as much as possible. And a really good way to do that is when you do that annual review with your operators, the point I will make though real quick on doing that annual review is you've got to train your operators on what they're looking for when they're doing that annual review. That way they know, hey, this looks like a red flag. Yeah, it could be I can't even reach it. You know, it could be this valve is 20 feet in the air and it says step one is turn off this valve. Two parts should one, it's elevated work. We had an episode about that earlier about, you know, we're adding risk now if we go up. Two, could we capture a PHA of saying it's too high. Maybe we need to put a chain drive or something on it. And three, how am I going to manage this if there's a chemical leak in here? So 
even the walking around like Jen's talking about, you you want to be trained to ha have them look at the picture the way you want to look at it in the room. So when they look at the steps, they look at the valve, they're calculating these variables, they're making notes and saying, these are the actions we need to take moving forward to reduce risk. Because part of SOPs is reduce the risk. Yeah. That's what they're for. Absolutely. And it's interesting how many <laughs> compressor pads are set up in a way that I don't have the ability to set up a ladder and now I'm trying to find an extension ladder, but there's none to find and I don't have really anything that I can lean it on because there's pipes in the way. So how am I really truly accessing that valve? But that's the one we list. That's the one we're going for. So it's those kind of situations that we're talking about of just keep your eyes peeled for that. Yeah, we've seen more and more places have the fences around all the equipment. And when the fence wasn't there, you could take a sizzle lift and get right to the valve. Now the fence is there. You can't get it either side of it. Things that you may have reviewed your SLP last year, it was perfect. You add the fence now, and now you're like, how am I going to get to that valve? So even though the project was about putting the fence up for security, you could have changed it, the variable of your SLP or changed the way you're going to access those valves. Absolutely. Or if you're adding on to the location or you're building another building or whatever, what is happening in the feeded area around your equipment too can change those SLPs like Joe's talking about. Now, the other thing we look at is there are people who will refer to SLPs um, or refer to a task procedure. And then you also have like third party doing projects who will have their own version. So what you want to do is you want to take your current SLP. If the project's going to happen, you're going to do a pump down or bring in a contractor. You're going to do all this work on the money system that afternoon. See if the process that everyone is thinking about doing correlates with their SLP. And if it doesn't somehow, then ask the questions. Part of that to me is, it's not the SOP is going to capture a project. It's to make me ask questions. Well, if it's an absolute, I do this normally for a compressor, and you're going to be installing a compressor. Well, would any of these factors relate or change? It's, it's a discussion point to make you bring up different ideas. You know, and it's not the end of the world if your SOP doesn't capture that. You just want to make sure that you're capturing it somehow. So maybe a pre-job hazard analysis or some kind of safety analysis or risk assessment. You just want to capture what the steps are and how we're doing it and what we're following it in some capacity. And so some of that stuff goes back to the pre-planning, like Joe talked about in episode 10 and contractors, which if you haven't heard that and you are doing some RFSM contract work, I would really encourage you to listen to that. But part of that hazard analysis and pre-job planning is really hammering out how am I physically going to move my body from point A to point B to do the work? And does it meet the safety guidelines that I have to follow that I say are an absolute every other time? Can I still do it? Just because we're doing a project doesn't mean it, they don't apply anymore. You know, everybody's buying the clip on meters now and they wear the meters and, and that's a good thing. I, I, I encourage people to wear those when they're doing jobs because it kind of gives them an idea of what's going on in the area. But when you do a project, it's interesting how the project has its own life. And you may add variable. You may look at the SOP and say, no, where's the same? I'm going to wear a meter, but today I'm going to wear it while I'm working all day as a buffer in place. So you could have an SOP, and you could have the task procedure, and then you can have, you know what, let's add this buffer because we've evaluated the risk. We think it's a little higher, but what's another factor we can put in to, to buffer us that day while we're doing the project? So that's the idea. It's not the SOP just everyday life. It's a concept like Jen talked about of how to manage the system over the year knowing there's going to be these different variables that come about. And if you don't have a task procedure for it, like we talked about, maybe it's just a non-routine task, but it's sort of routine. We do it once a year. We do it every two years. This sometimes happens, but it, it shouldn't happen, but sometimes it does. Those are the things that you might want to look at writing a task procedure for if you're not going to do that pre-job hazard analysis. 
and just kind of capture some of the risks, some of the hazards, some of the PPE, just some of the concerns that should be raised about how we're going to do things and make sure that everybody's okay. Do I need a spotter? Do I need a second person? Do I need to wear an APR during or just when I'm doing a certain section of this task? Just really hammering that out and, and identifying what that risk moment is and that we've got a hazard or mitigation control in place to help reduce and bring that risk down as much as we possibly can. Like Joe said, it's kind of interesting how we'll have all of these safety things in place during normal operations, but we do a project or we do a non-routine and we don't have anything for that. And so it's kind of like, well, we'll just kind of wing it and hope for the best. That's what those plans are there for. And, And if you don't have it, do it right before you do the job. Just write it out, work through it as a team, get together and write it out at that moment. Yeah, if anyone's ever been around me on a project, that's what I do. I'm like, let's get a plan together. I'll pull the SLP. I'll pull the operators. We'll have discussions. We write stuff out. We get everything together so that whatever happens, we have some kind of general plan. So, all right, we're towards the end of this episode. Again, we want to thank Jen for her PSM experience. As those of you who don't know, Jen spends more time on the PSM regulatory and the actual managing of the systems than I do. I am more of the looking at a procedure, seeing how it correlates. And then when you have a leak, how are you going to manage it? So that's kind of neat to have her on here and look at a different view. So I will get ready to close out. Jen, you have anything else? I don't. Just have a great week, everybody. Thanks for joining us. All right. Thank you again, everybody, for listening and have a great day. Bye. Thank you for listening to Safe, Efficient, Profitable, a worker safety podcast. If you like what you heard here, Please take a moment to write us a quick review, like, subscribe, and share our podcast so that others can find us. For questions or to request topics that you'd like to hear on our next show, please visit us at www.allen-safety.com. Thank you. Safety first, stay safe.